One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. What's shaking? Welcome back to All In. I'm your host, Rick Jordan. And today we are going to be talking about drug addiction, PTSD, alcoholism, suicide, and coming through that and building, building a global business and a whole bunch of other things. And before we dive into this, I want to tell you a little bit about how we grow on this show and help more people. It's only through you. We don't do promotion, sponsors, anything. The more you share these episodes, the more we continue to grow. So thank you for being part of that journey. And my guest today has overcome drug addiction, uh, if I can speak, good Lord, drug addiction, PTSD from fighting in Iraq with the Marine Corps, depression, alcoholism that pushed him into the brink of suicide. And since then, he's built a global business, run ultra marathon, spent seven days in darkness. I can't wait to ask about this and explored the most hostile environments on the planet. It's just incredible. He's featured literally everywhere. Akshay Nanavati, welcome, my man. Welcome. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Honored to be here. Man, I, I want to start by saying thank you for serving. I, I really appreciate you. Appreciate you saying that, man. Thank you. Man, it's, uh, I've always phrased it that way, too. That thank you for serving because I, uh, I know that it really never stops, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, being, being a Marine is very much in part of who I am today and an essential part of my, my being. So it's, as they say, once a Marine, always a Marine. Yeah, man, for sure. Now, was the, was the drug addiction before or after your service tour in Iraq? The drugs was before the Marines. I okay. struggled with alcohol after coming back from Iraq, but the drugs was before that. That was when I was in high school. Uh, struggled with severe drug addiction for about a year and a half. Lost two friends to that lifestyle. Was kind of going down that road myself. Very self-destructive. I still have these scars on my arm for where I used to cut wow. myself and burn myself and just these scars all over. Just a very destructive nature that, I mean, I did so many things that could have easily killed me and somehow... I thankfully did not die, made, made it out of that darkness, made it out of that world. And watching the movie Black Hawk Down was the trigger that got nice. me out of drugs and into the Marines. That's so cool, man. So you were inspired by that movie then to join. That movie planted a seed that changed my life forever. You know, just have you seen the movie? Oh, yeah, I sure have, dude. It's been a yeah. while, probably like 15 years. But yeah, man, Yeah, it's an old movie now. But yeah. I mean, one of my favorites and such an intense and powerful war movie. And, you know, it's based on a true story. And so watching this movie and then after the, after the movie, I read the book Black Hawk Down and just started devouring book after book after book on military and life and combat yeah. and just watching and reading these stories about men sacrificing their lives and voluntarily putting them voluntarily putting themselves in extremely dangerous positions at the risk of their life and even losing their life in service of another human being was so powerful and so moving and it, it just triggered something in me that what kind of human being would have that courage to do yeah. that you know what does it take to do that and would i be able to do that and it sort of it, it made me question the very worthless selfish meaningless existence i was living at the time and helped me transform that to realize that i wanted to do something more with this life that i've been gifted and so that was the trigger that planted the seed that it almost overnight stopped doing drugs and decided to enlist in the marines that's incredible man <laughs> i mean i remember getting emotional with the movie i've watched it several times yeah. you know but it has been a while since i've watched it i think it's time mm -hmm. for me to revisit it it's but a it's, very uh, powerful movie yeah. yeah no doubt it is man and all that took place i think if i remember right during the clinton administration too 
Is that I correct? believe so. Where the That's story right. took place. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was just yeah. A, it was an interesting time because I know that was you have likely served in the second Iraq war, right? During the, That's correct. Yeah, for yep. sure. And I know that was taking place sometime after in between the, those two wars, which was the Clinton administration. But it was an interesting time during that period, I remember, because it was peacetime. You're really mm -hmm. right in between those mm -hmm. two wars and it was actually mm -hmm. an economic boom but mm -hmm. still it was intriguing to me watching that because there's still all this stuff man that goes on around the world when the united states is still like enjoying some prosperity yeah it, it, there's i mean there's always we are very lucky i mean if somebody's watching or listening to this you are, you are automatically in the line of position that is way better than so many yeah. in our human family across the globe and as we're sitting here having this conversation i mean there's people in war zones and refugee camps people who are living their lives you know as prisoners and sex trafficking and and there's a lot of darkness in the world and and we are like that's constantly happening you know it's uh, not it's and like you were saying earlier when you when you experience some of this stuff because beyond just being in the marines yeah. serving in war i've volunteered in leper colonies i've worked with survivors sex trafficking have been have worked in post-conflict zones i've worked with former child soldiers so that kind of stuff it it stays with you you know and so you're constantly yeah. present to the darkness that is in the human condition and and inevitably it also it it destroys apathy right like not to say that i was apathetic but whatever apathy that might have been there before especially when i was doing all these drugs and that kind of indifference to anything really because i was numb to it when i was you know numbing myself with drugs and then post the war from with alcohol it it kills all of that and it makes you stay very present to the darkness and pain in the human condition and, and ultimately wanting to do something about it no doubt i'm going to make a little bit of a controversial statement here and i'm pretty sure you're going to agree with it too you know coming <laughs> from your background right because yeah. when you're talking about all this darkness that exists in the world you know and there's a lot that are just naive to it that it's even there to begin with and mm -hmm. I, I've seen these other things that, you know, comments before over the last 20 years of my life to where it's, you know, individuals with this stance. And I respect that they have the right to have a position or an opinion. Of course I do, because everyone has mm -hmm. unique perspectives. But when I've heard things around, like it's not the United States job to police the world, you know, I think it's such a very limited scope that these individuals see, because when there's this much darkness in the world, I feel it's the responsibility of those that can something do something to actually do something. I could not agree with you more. I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of nuance to global foreign policy, not to claim to be an expert in, in politics by any stretch of the imagination. I understand any, any, any time we are being involved, getting involved in something like that, it, it, there's a lot of challenges to making those decisions. But I, but on a moral and philosophical level, I 100% agree that if one has power to do something about it, we should. And as an example of that was the Rwandan genocide. I mean, I actually read the read, I, I wrote my one of my history thesis, I was an undergraduate yeah. in history, I wrote it about the Rwandan genocide. And that was one of the factors that inspired me to join because we could have done something to stop that horror, you know, and I think since somebody is in power, it's a responsibility and, you know, separate from the politics of the Iraq war granted, we shouldn't have gone like I actually did my other history thesis on the Iraq war, and I had a unique perspective of not only having researched it but lived it like actually was in yeah. the war so granted we shouldn't have gone on all that kind of stuff but what when we were out there i believe we were doing some good out there you know and uh and we did make a difference now history might prove all of that wrong and things could go to hell as we we're seeing in afghanistan but you know point is on a at least on a moral and philosophical level i do feel like one when one has power one should do something about it and actually the the the, the starting quote in the movie black hawk down is from i believe it was plato who said that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing you know so i wholeheartedly <laughs> oh God, believe man. that 
you just gave me shivers and i'm not even kidding about that dude because <laughs> you're speaking to my heart today you're speaking to the hearts mm -hmm. of everybody that's listening you know whether they even agree with it or not you're still speaking to their hearts man that, that's the pretty cool thing right about doing these kinds of shows i love it yeah, absolutely man sweet brother so you did a tour in iraq and that was obviously during the time of the bush administration right mm -hmm. in the united mm -hmm. states you know when we mm -hmm. thought there were weapons of mass destruction over there and that was saddam hussein's era and the whole idea was to go in there and root him out which ended up pretty much happening you know <laughs> and mm -hmm. he, he's dead now which is i think a good thing for that part of the world you know because mm -hmm. the, the guy was just a ruthless dictator absolutely you know, i mean very similar things to what takes place with the taliban these days and how he treated mm -hmm. women and, and everything else just horrendous mm -hmm. but you were there for how many years did you have your tour there uh, seven months. I was there in 2007, 2008. Seven months. Okay. Wow. Just yep. seven months. And you, yeah, Marine Corps, Marine Corps deployments are seven months. That's it right. is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know if you had re-enlisted or gone back, you know, if you went back on a tour I, or something. I tried to, because when I did come back from Iraq, I was unsatisfied with, and I could not handle life in this world. So I wanted to go back to a uh, war. Like there's a strange kind of comfort that comes with life in war. It's very counterintuitive it's very paradoxical it doesn't make sense to those who've not huh. experienced it but it, there's a strange kind of peace that comes from being in war and again that does not make a lot of sense i get that but if you when you really delve into it like war meets a lot of the human needs and if you this is again separate from the politics of it on the ground it meets a lot of the human needs that we all fight for right like belonging being a part of something bigger than yourself camaraderie feeling alive like feeling the aliveness in the day-to-day -day experience you feel that tremendously in war, right? You're part yeah. of something bigger. Yeah. Even again, separate from the politics, on the ground, we were trying to do some good. You are you're, you have a tribe, you have a camaraderie, you have a brotherhood. We all want to feel that human, human need for belonging, right? So it meets a lot of that. And you come back here and this world is much more complicated, much harder to uh, to 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 find peace within. So I wanted to go back and ultimately I did not get a chance, but which is why I ended up going to grad school in journalism because I wanted to then go back to war as a combat journalist. That plan changed again, but that was the original uh, uh, huh. game plan because I just wanted to find a way to go back to those experiences. Yeah, I don't know if that's completely a foreign concept to individualism. I mean, think about the tough family situations that we have, especially coming out of this past year and a half, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm sure there might be some, you know, it's, it's different types of course, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were some traumas, you know, and I'm t I, I shouldn't even phrase it that way. I'm certain there's been some traumas in families coming from the, the pandemic situation that we've had over the past couple of years too. <laughs> and even some PTSD from that, because imagine people being locked up. I mean, you see divorce rates skyrocket this past year. Think about people being locked up together, but they've got the camaraderie. They might've been in a situation to where they're constantly fighting. You know? mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. even coming out of that it's like well maybe there should be some sort of different environment we try to create but i keep going back to this situation in my life or maybe it even could be a bad job you know with a narcissistic boss or something like that you mm -hmm. know so where or just something that's keeping them stagnant in life but they're like i'm going to thrive on that because it's simple and i understand this combat fight or flight mode that i go into every time i show up in my house every time i show up to my job whatever yeah. And that can be very destructive if you don't channel it with healthy awareness. Like, yeah. for example, when I came back from the war and I got out of the Marines at this point, you know, I realized I wasn't going to be able to go back and the wars were ending by the time I got back anyway. So I got out of the Marines. Uh, I decided to go spend one month dragging 190 pound sled for 350 miles wow. across Greenland. It was <laughs> minus 40 degrees, brutal storms. The following year after my crossing, a British explorer was killed in these storms. I mean, one of the more most hostile environments on the planet, right? A wow. polarized cap on Greenland. And I still 
still do these things today. I'm going to Antarctica next week, actually, to do a, a 30 to 40 day expedition at South Pole. But point is, back then, I was doing it just to run away from my demons because I wanted the peace of being in a world where I had to confront life and death. So today I'm still doing it, but I'm doing it from a very different level of consciousness. I'm not running away from things. I'm mm-hmm. going out there seeking something, you know? So it's a it's a different mentality behind it, even though the craft and the pursuit in and is, is the same. But point is to say that, that sometimes when you uh, driving yourself into the um, into like these these hostile worlds is if you don't do it with consciousness and awareness, it can be very unhealthy and very destructive. And I was doing that for a long time until I had nowhere to escape. When I came back from Greenland, I quit. I had a corporate job for a year and a half before that. Quit that. Now I didn't have the Marines. I didn't have a job. I didn't have an environment like Greenland to provide me any structure. So there was nothing external to give me structure. And without mm-hmm. that the demons started to rise, right? Without an external structure to guide me, I had to, I inevitably had to face myself within. Now I was building a business at the time, but slowly if like the, that's when I started to get worse and worse with my drinking. I mean, I would one day of drinking on a Saturday would become two, three, four, five. I mean, to a point that I was literally drinking, like I kid you not a 750 milliliter bottle of vodka a day. And this would go on for days on end. You know, I'd be throwing up in the toilet and stop and then keep drinking until one morning after five days of this, I woke up and was seconds away from slitting my wrist because I just felt like this pattern of drinking and then sobering up and drinking and sobering up would never end. So that's when, like when, when I had no structure, I was forced to face all of that. And obviously it sent me down a dark road, but in the long run, I needed to face that. Again, I didn't do it in the most constructive or healthy way at the time. I've learned a lot since then, of course, but you can't avoid that stuff. You know, it's only like Carl Jung puts it really, really beautifully. He says, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Wow. So you got to bring that stuff to the surface and make it conscious so you can now channel it and decide what you want to do with it. And he also says to build off of that, he says, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. And the thing is, and it's so profound because we all have that stuff within us. We all have our demons and our darkness and our struggles and our pain. And if we don't confront it, if we don't bring it to the surface, and it's a very hard journey to do that, to go into the depths of that darkness is very, very hard. So we often do everything to avoid it. You know, anything we can, we'll, we'll avoid confronting our own soul. But going there will allow us to now channel it purposefully and ultimately create a far better life. So you got to go through the struggle to come out on the other side of it. Otherwise, it's just going to stay kind of buried within you and laying dormant, but always controlling your identity and controlling your worldview unless you face it. I'm noticing that even in your story here on how you're talking about, you know, because when you, it seems like that when you came out of Iraq and you're even almost your whole purpose in going to Greenland was to create that simplicity in a hostile environment again. Absolutely. Because of your yep. PTSD. Yeah. But now you've channeled that because you're not stopping these extreme things <laughs> that you're doing, you know? So what was the difference though? Because it, if you're doing the same things, I, I mean, I understand the mentality of it, right? But how did you make that shift? And what does that shift mean to you? Because when you continue these things, how do you channel that into something good now? Great question. You know, so as I said, back then, I wasn't nearly as self-aware as I am now. So yeah. I was just wanting to seek seek the hostility of these worlds. But today, I've I've gone deep into those spaces. I mean, after coming out of that that 
point when I was on the brink of suicide, I went years of research into neuroscience, psychology, spirituality, initially just to heal myself, but obviously then to take everything I'd been learning to help others navigate their suffering, because of course, I'm not the only person who suffered. We all suffer, right? Yeah. And then and then when I came out of that, I eventually, I had gone through a really challenging divorce, broke my sobriety, went, and when I break, when I do anything, I do it pretty hard. So I broke my sobriety, broke hard. And that's what led me into the darkest retreat where I spent seven days in darkness. So point of all this to say is I've spent a lot of time and and energy on doing that inner work. I've gone into the dark, like the deepest, darkest spaces within my soul. And I've brought that stuff to the surface of all the, all the, the, the things that lay within the darkness as well as wow. the light. And so now when I do these things, I go to Antarctica, I'm going to Antarctica in one week to spend 30 to 40 days skiing to the South pole. And I'll be walking where only 49 human beings have ever walked, you know, and right after that, I'm climbing the tallest mountain in Antarctica. And then I'm going to the Arctic to ski to the North pole. So I'm still doing these things, but I'm not doing them because I'm trying to run away from my demons. I'm not doing them to run away from something in this world. I'm doing them now with a seeking, with the seeking of a new evolution, a seeking of a new awakening that only comes from going into places you've never gone before. Because if you live in all, if you stay in the world and the reality, you only know, you're only going to get more of what you've always got. So to step outside of what I know, to go into places I've never gone, and I don't just mean externally, I mean, more importantly, internally, Antarctica ultimately is of course a new world that I've never been to. One of the most hostile environments on the planet, minus 40, minus 50 degrees, brutal storms, of course, all that deadly environment that can kill you. But that is ultimately a vehicle for me to seek something within myself. The suffering that I inevitably will go through out there when you're, you know, in the brutal cold, dragging a sled for eight to 12 plus hours a day for 40 days straight, you know, the grind of that, the monotony of that, the struggle of that. That's ultimately the means, not the purpose, right? That is the means to something. And the something that I seek by going into these places is a constant experience of self-transcendence. To transcend myself in service of not just something beyond myself, but even in service of myself, like in service of my higher self, right? Like suffering forces you to, in order to face suffering and keep moving forward, you have to transcend that pain. And that transcendence is what I seek now. That transcendence, you can call it enlightenment, call it experiencing the divine, call it God, like the universe, that transcendence taps into something within the soul. And I don't just mean my individual soul. I mean, the human collective soul, the human spirit, it taps into something to that, which is so profound and so powerful that in a way it becomes its own kind of addiction. Again, if you're not careful, but I doing this now with a great degree of awareness as to what I'm, what I'm looking for and why I'm going out there, knowing that I will balance the, the, the suffering I seek in these environments with coming back and channeling it into the other edge of that duality, right? So the duality of suffering, I will, I will, I will tap into that. So I'm not just going all in into only like a life of suffering and misery and struggle, which is obviously one part of what I seek, but there's, it's, it's, it's tapped into and it's confronted and it's balanced by the duality of that, which is the play, which is channeling that suffering into wisdom and service, which is experiencing the lightness and joy as well, right? Like, so now I'm playing on the edges of all dualities in order to experience like a greater awakening that comes from dancing on those, dancing on the razor's edge, as I like to say, if that makes sense. Yeah, it sure does, man. And that's something too, because I mean, we always... It is a basic need, as you said, a basic human need to actually feel alive. Exactly. And and that's something that, that of course, can be transcendence, you know, in one place of living to a higher form of living. That's Mm -hmm. what I see you doing, man. And it's it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you've come through so much. You know, can you tell me, you mentioned the seven days of darkness. That's right after your suicide attempt, around the brink of suicide, right? 
that was a few years later. Okay. So after after going through this suicide attempt, when I began the the uh, or, or or on the verge of that suicide yeah. attempt, was uh, I began that years of research, and that's what led me to my work with Fearvana, to writing the book Fearvana, to creating this ethos of Fearvana in and of itself, which is fundamentally everything of what I do. And and the idea of Fearvana is you know fear and nirvana. Two seemingly contradictory concepts, talking about what I was just saying about the duality, right? There's two seemingly contradictory ideas that are often framed as opposites, but the reality is that they're not opposites. And these these seemingly contradictory ideas can, in fact, coexist, and they are very much complementary. That fear is not the antithesis of nirvana, but the access point to it. And that's what fearvana is all about. It's uniting these two seemingly contradictory forces and ultimately falling in love with both edges and embracing them to attain our next awakening. So if I had to sort of summarize fearvana in one, one, one sentence, what it ultimately helps people do is to help people develop a positive relationship to not just the experience of fear, but suffering of any kind and turn that into their bliss to transform that suffering into doing three things, finding, living, and loving their worthy struggle. That's what I call your path in life, your worthy struggle. It doesn't have to be climbing mountains or skiing across ice caps. It can be hosting a podcast, raising a child, playing the guitar, playing basketball, whatever it is, but any worthwhile path in life will be hard. And that's why I call it your worthy struggle because it's your worthy struggle. It's the struggle worthy of who you are and who you want to be. And that struggle is beautiful. So if you're honest about helping people find the beauty in that struggle and then, and then trans and then translate it into an experience of bliss and ultimately nirvana itself. So the, the coming out of the darkness led me to all of that. And then a few years later, I went through this very challenging divorce. And when I broke my sobriety from that, that's what drove me to going to the darkness retreat, which was, I think now two years, three years ago, two years, two and a half, three years ago. So not that long ago. Um, but the reason is I wanted to go when I broke, I didn't like that part of myself. I didn't like going there. I, you know, I didn't like that, what it, what it drove me to. So I knew something was missing and I wanted to go deeper within to find some answers. And as wow. with everything I do, I do it in a fairly extreme way. So seven days of darkness was my way to really go deep within to see what I would find. Yeah, for sure. What, what do you have? Cause you do some extreme things, of course, but what's a, in this concept of fear vana, What's the best way to face your fears? You know, because fears, I, I think of like a visualization. We all have fears. It's a very basic human emotion, right? Of course. And so I think of the, the individuals like when you're, when you're freaked out in a moment, like if there's something that happens or whatever, like even last night, not kidding, last night, I woke up in the middle of the night. It was like in this, I wasn't having a bad dream. It was actually a very, very good dream, but I don't know. I think I just had like a muscle spasm in my shoulder mm-hmm. or something. And it felt like somebody like pushed me. You know, from on top, and in that moment, like that split second, I was like, "WTF?" You know, and in that moment, mm-hmm. I, I've I've had training, so I'm just like you, so I can look around and everything. But most people that I've seen, when they're in their state of fear, they seize up, right? They don't move at all, almost like like rigor mortis paralyzed kind of kind of thing. Yeah, and, but that's situations in life, you know, because that can be metaphoric or analogous to not doing anything right C- continuing in alcoholism continuing in a bad relationship continuing a, a poor job whatever because that is like the same thing as like seizing up and being yeah. right there how do you get past that moment man to where you can thaw out see clearly think clearly and move 
past this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so the, the first step in doing that is to not demonize the experience of fear. And what I mean by that is, you know, we often hear things like be fearless. Don't be scared. We'll attach words Those like disorder stupid, to stress. <laughs> completely. <laughs> oh, God, completely. Yes. And it's, it's so destructive because what it does is it went and, and not just fear, right? Anxiety, stress. Like, for yeah. example, one of the things I do in many of my talks is I'll show words like fear, stress, anxiety, suffering, pain, adversity, struggle. How many of you think of these as positive words? And you can do this anywhere in the world. Nobody thinks of this as positive yeah. words. We have a negative relationship to this because we're told, you know, be stress-free. We attach words like disorder to anxiety and stress. And that is the first problem is that in and of itself. That's why the, when I when I talk about what Fearvana is, the first step is helping people develop positive relationship to suffering and not demonizing it. Mm. Because when we demonize yeah. it, we think of ourselves, we think there's something wrong when it, when, when it shows up. And I see this all the time. Like I worked with a client once who he was traveling to Iceland on his own for a vacation, right? Very chill vacation, nothing like crazy, stay in a hotel, but he was feeling really scared. Now he was beating himself up for feeling fear because he looks at the things I do. And he was like, you know, you climb mountains in the Himalayas and you're not scared. Like, well, you know, why am I scared? But the thing is, it's not that I'm one, it's not that I'm not scared when I climb mountains. I'm terrified too. The only reason I wouldn't be scared traveling to Iceland on my own is because I've done those things. So my yeah. brain has different references than his. It's not because it takes no courage to do something if there's no fear. So it takes no courage on my part to go travel to Iceland. The only reason his brain showed up as fear because he didn't have the references to say, hey, that's an okay experience. He had never done it before. So anything new is it's normal. The problem yeah. was not the fear. The problem was him judging himself for feeling that fear. When we let go of that judgment and we stop demonizing fear, stop demonizing stress, stop demonizing anxiety, stop demonizing guilt. I mean, take post-traumatic stress disorder, for example. When I came back from the war, as I mentioned, I was diagnosed with PTSD, right? Because I had symptoms of post-traumatic stress. Like I was, I struggled with survivor's guilt. I was, I was very jumpy and hypervigilant with loud noises. I didn't like crowds. Now, hmm. these were all things that I was told were symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. As I started healing myself and delved into the research, I realized that Look, these are not post-traumatic stress disorder. This is post-traumatic stress. And post-traumatic stress is not indicative of a disorder. At attaching the word disorder onto post-traumatic stress completely changes our own relationship to those experiences. Wow. When I, when I started to say, look, this is not a disorder. This is a normal human response to war. It, I spent seven months in a war zone where loud noises equals death. Inevitably, my brain said, look, you better be more alert up to loud noises because it could kill you totally normal functional response right but when i frame it as a disorder now i think there's something wrong with me and that creates this horrible downward spiral because i'm judging it instead of letting it go like as another example the survivor's guilt you know everybody told me don't feel guilty and look rationally i get it we can't control what happens in war bullets fly where they fly right but that's just the nature of war but emotionally it didn't change the fact that the guilt was still there because my guilt was just an expression of love the only reason wow. i felt it was because of the camaraderie and the brotherhood I had with my with my tribe, with my brothers in the Marines. So instead of trying to let it go, which I couldn't, which everybody said, you know, don't feel guilty, it's not your fault. But the reality was it was there and it was an expression of love. So instead of trying to fight it, I embraced it and I used it. So for a long time, I had a picture of my friend that I lost in the war and it said, this should have been you, earn this life. Wow. Earn it. And this was an intense thing to look at, but my guilt became my fuel. My guilt became my ally. So point is to say that the first step, and this is very hard to do because we are so conditioned to believe there are quote unquote bad emotions. Yeah. And the reality is, look, there's more challenging emotions like fear, stress, anxiety are more challenging. Sure. Than happiness, joy, calm, whatever. But that doesn't mean they're negative. They just are. The reality is there are no bad or good emotions. There are only emotions. 
And it's up to us to decide what we do with them. So when we stop demonizing the emotion and accept it, like embrace the isness of whatever shows up. And a simple way to do that is literally just talk out loud. What is the emotion? Neuroscience has actually shown that when you label an emotion, it reduces activity in the emotional parts of your brain and increases activity in the part of your brain related to focus and awareness. That's a prefrontal cortex, the front part of the brain. And essentially what that means is it's allowing you to respond to your emotion instead of reacting to it. So it creates a space between you as you, between the emotion and you as the feeler of that feeling, right? So, and that space is everything. That space will shape your destiny. So wow. you have to train to recognize that space. And uh, like a simple mantra that I, that I use and help other and share this with others is to constantly remember, you are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings. You are not your experiences. You are the thinker of your thoughts, the feeler of your feelings and the experiencer of your experiences. There is a space between what shows up and who you choose to be outside of what shows up. So to master fear or any challenging emotion, the first step is to not demonize it, to acknowledge there is a space between it, you know, what that emotion is and who you choose to be outside of it, then channel it into something worthwhile, channeling to something you're into your worthy struggle. And then there's, of course, the practical sort of tactics, but more the mindset is the, the first step. But, you know, there are strategies, like you mentioned, visualization is a very powerful tool. Knowing what is your why on the other side of your fear, being, being very clear, what's the why? Like, why am I pursuing this struggle? I do things like I'm, I'm not, not scared of, I'm terrified of going to Antarctica. It terrifies me, but I know why I'm going there. So to me, the fear is worth it, right? So knowing what is the why, visualizing yourself, facing that over uh, the obstacle, transcending it overcoming the struggle also engaging the fear of inaction like when i wrote my book fear vana i was terrified i was terrified of putting a book out there people could judge it hate it think it's a potentially get that dreaded one-star review on amazon right but i was more scared of dying never having shared my message and that fear was more scary to me than the fear of actually doing the work to write my book and put it out there. And I would actually have to engage that fear. I literally do once a month, I do a death meditation. I confront death on a regular basis because not only with what I do, but even consciously in my mind, because it helps me stay present to the gift that is this life. And it helps me take action towards the things I want to do, because that's literally what I did when I, when I was writing my book and I would procrastinate, which I did. Uh, I would, rem I would think of myself dying, having never shared my message. And that was a terrifying thought. Wow. So I was like, okay, if, if that's more scary than the book then you better get your ass to work and write this book. Right. So when you engage the other side of the fear, the fear of inaction, it'll often fuel you because look, whatever, whatever path you choose one way or the other, write this book, yeah. don't write it. Work in a business, start a corporate job, be single, be in a relationship. Every crossroads, there will be a struggle. So the question to always ask is, which struggle are you willing to endure? Man, you decide. Powerful. <laughs> Incredible. Well, we went on a long rant there, but Dude, I get fired That's up. <laughs> good. That's what it was supposed to be. You know, even uh, you, you brought up this word demonizing a lot too, you know, and I, I, I would almost propose that you take the D in PTSD to post-traumatic stress demons because if, if like it's that... that if it's that thing, right, because a disorder kind of, as you were talking about this, right, you were talking a lot about the external things, right, versus the internal stuff that, that, and internal choices. And it's almost like the, the D in disorder almost becomes like a demon, like, you know, you're afflicted by these external demons and all these things. And it's almost like you have no control over it when you call it a, a disorder, like it's mm -hmm. something external. And then you become like, well, I got it. Right. And you don't do anything about it because you feel like there's nothing you can do about exactly. it because it's a disorder, you know, something external. But really, you know, that's what I'm saying, like a demon, almost kind of like afflicting you and you have no choice but to just kind of go into a fetal position and just take that beating. 
from that thing, whatever it is, versus eliminating that because an understanding that, dude, if it's post-traumatic stress or if it's anything, anger, fear, guilt, anxiety, and just accepting that those are okay to feel. Those are all right. Now, all of a sudden, you can unclench and start to be like, okay, let me sit in this for a sec. What does this mean? Where do I need to go with this? It's okay to have this. That's fine. As long as it's momentary. Exactly. It's there. It's, it's okay for it to be there. Now, what are you going to do with it? But when you like, exactly to your point, when you release that tension of like trying to fight it and trying to resist it and just accept it, it kind of frees you. And with that freedom, you can now channel it. And then of course you have to train in it. Like the, when you, you know, because you can listen to a podcast, read a book, do whatever, but ultimately nothing is going to train you in the experience. Like in the, the greatest lessons are in the battlefield. They're in the yeah. doing right in the arena. So, and, and when you do that, you have to work your ladder of risk one step at a time. If you, you can't go from couch to Everest, right? You have to, you have to work your, I wasn't always like this. I mean, I used to be terrified of Ferris wheels when I was kids, when I was a kid, forget about roller coasters, like even Ferris wheels scared me, you know? So I wasn't born this way to just do the crazy things I do now. I worked my way up the ladder of risk. Because if you go too hard and too fast, never having done it before, you're going to kind of find yourself getting paralyzed. But if you yeah, push yourself yeah. slowly, do the first thing that's a little scary for you and let go of the judgment. Because often what we'll do is we'll compare ourselves like that person doesn't find this scary. He's braver than me. Like, like you know, if it shows up, accept that it's there. The thought yeah. is not you. So, you know, be with the thought. Don't be defined by the thought. And then recognize that it's there. Let me move up. Now, once you do things enough, this thing will no longer be scary. Then you can do the next thing. And slowly you expand what I call the zone of fear of Your zone of fear of will expand. And, it, you know, I'm not saying you'll ever get to a point where nothing will scare you. And I don't think you want to because yeah, I would yeah. always want to be scared. On, like on the other side of my fear is my great reward, you know? So the point is that you will never, all the fears won't go away, but you will develop a comfort with the fear. So even when it shows up, you'll embrace it. You'll love it. Like I do, everything I do terrifies me. But that's why I do it, because I know that that's how I'm going to find something I've never found before and open new doors within my soul. Powerful, man. Akshay, you are incredible, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. I'm Appreciate so it. glad you came on today, man. <laughs> Fearvana.com. That's where an Instagram at Fearvana. This is amazing, man. You know, and, and those who comment about this and that leave a rating review, I want to send you a book of his too, you know, for the first 10 people that do this, because this is amazing. I want to, you know, and then, you know, it's screw it. The next 10 people that just message me, fine, we're going to send you a copy of this book because <laughs> Akshay is incredible. It's just got to be that way. And dude, I want to see your message get out to everybody. Don't Thank stop you, doing what you're doing, man. And there's a lot of people that can benefit from listening to you, from reading about you, reading your stories. And so let this be just something today that just to say, hey, I'm sure you were a little f- fearful about even coming on the show today. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do. Uh, I mean, I've done enough podcast interviews yeah. that now I'm comfortable. But there's always that like that. I mean, before I get on every show, I actually will watch a very short clip from Black Hawk Down. It's I literally nice. did it before this one interview. It was a, it's a one minute clip at the end of the movie where he says, you know, and he says, people, when I go home, people don't understand. And they ask me, you know, what are you, some kind of war junkie? Why do you do it? And he says, they won't understand, but I do it because it's all about the men next to me. And so I always watch that scene before. And this is a great technique to actually navigate 
challenging situations is to create triggers. So whenever I come on a show, I put that as a trigger to remind me that why I am here is about the person next to me, is about the person listening. Even if I can change one life who's listening to the show, it's worth the journey. It's worth why. It's worth me being here, you know? So I always put that on as a trigger. Because sometimes, hey, look, we all get caught up in the day-to-day -day grind. We have a million things to do. I, I got like 20 million things to do before I leave for Antarctica in one week, right? So, uh, so I, there's like literally navigating all this stuff, but the trigger brings me back to centered place that's saying, hey, you are here because it's about the men and the women next to you, about the people you're here to serve. Incredible. Akshay, thank you, my man, for being on. I've enjoyed you so much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you.